Welcome to the Covenant Women Podcast with Dr. Adonica Howard-Brown, your on-demand source for Holy Ghost-filled preaching and teaching. You bring blessing everywhere you go. You bring freedom. You bring liberty. Out of your inmost being will flow rivers of living water. Be refreshed, encouraged, and strengthened as you hear the Word today. your word that washes us clean, that renews, that washes us so that we, our minds can be renewed, Father, to your word, to a new way of thinking, Father, that we can put aside our carnal thoughts and, and things of the old life and we can take up the new life and embrace it, Father. I thank you, Lord, that you're just doing a work on the inside of us and that you're changing us and you're perfecting us every day. I thank you, Father, that you are um, that, that as we open up our heart to you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is coming in and doing a work on the inside of us and purifying us and burning out everything that's of the flesh and every bit of selfishness, everything that's of the world and of the devil. And I thank you, Father, that, that the image of Jesus has been branded in our heart. And I thank you, Lord, that as we make decisions to obey you, to walk in your word, that the nature and the character of Jesus is reproduced on the inside of us and, and flows out of us, Father, so that when people look at us, they don't see us, but they see Jesus. They see his nature. They see his character. They see his personality. And they see his works. And we just thank you, Father, that, that you have a great call and, and a great plan and a purpose for every life in this room. And I thank you, Lord, that it's your desire to work in their heart, to, to change them, that they may be perfected in love so that you can use them to the fullest extent of your plan and purpose for them, Father. I thank you that they will obey your word, Father, that they will commit to walk in the love of God, that they will not fall short in anything of what you have for them, Father, but that they will just reach for the highest and that they will do everything that you've anointed them to do and everything that you've called them to do and prepared them to do. And I thank you, Lord, that these days are not wasted, that they're taking to prepare themselves, to prepare their hearts and prepare their lives for your service. And I thank you, Lord, that you just do such a work in them that when they look back, they can't even believe that they're the same person, that you've just done such a change in their hearts. And we just give you the glory, Father. We, I just thank you right now for your anointing. Lord, anoint my lips to speak your word. Anoint every ear to hear what you are saying to us, Lord. Let this word become real to us. Give us understanding. Let us have a revelation of your word, Father, so that we can receive it, accept it, live it, walk it out, and that it can become a reality in our life. And we just give you the praise and honor, and everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let me, I'm just going to read uh, 1 Corinthians 13 from 4 to 8 again. We were kind of halfway through that. I'll just read it in Amplified. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy, is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily, is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude or unmannerly and does not act unbecomingly. God's love in us does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it's not self-seeking, it's not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it, it pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person, its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out, becomes obsolete or comes to an end. When we first get born again, not, little or nothing of this is operating in our lives. Amen? Amen? If you can remember how you used to be. 
but God's done a work in your life and He's still doing a work in your life. And these things, if you will take them and put them into your heart and receive them and make a quality decision to walk in them, will begin to be manifested in your life as you walk it out. These things don't take place overnight. You have many opportunities. How many of you have really had an opportunity this week? And um, <laughs> aren't you glad I warned you? <laughs> we do on a daily basis. We have an opportunity to apply this in our lives. But as we get the word into our heart, we'll remember. I mean, the moment we start being offended at something, we'll remember love isn't touchy. Hey. And we'll deal with it. And, and, you know, instead of going through the whole thing of, Having, you know, having a, I mean, why, why do we need to have a big blow up and a big encounter and a heads budding and then we sort it out? Why don't we just nip it in the bud? Why don't we just deal with it immediately? And that's why I, I said to you, you know, when Pastor Rod and I first got married, we'd, we'd have a lot of squabbles, but we, we learned to walk in love toward another, toward one another. We learned to deal with, with our little issues and, and whatever and to where things that would have been a big deal you know, when we're first married, are not a big deal. And we, and one of the things too, we just learned to accept one another for who we were. I, you know, we quit trying to change each other and make each other something that we weren't. And obviously, both of us have changed a lot. He's, he's actually grown to be a lot more like me because, you know, he's, he's been influenced by the way that I think and I've been influenced by the, by the way that he thinks and I've become a lot more like him. Uh, and yet at the same time, we're still individuals, we've kept our individuality and we've learned to appreciate one another's differences and that, that, that displays your maturity in Christ is when you, can, when you can appreciate other people's differences and you don't see them as something that, that is a problem that needs to be overcome or changed. Um, when, when you're secure in yourself, when you know that God loves you, when you love people, you don't always try to change them. You realize they're not like me, and there's a good reason. Because if everybody was like you, it would be a really boring world. God needs all kinds of people. And, and you know, I, I've, had to, uh, I've had to learn, and my kids have taught me, because when I looked at my kids, they're such a combination of myself and my husband. And I learned a lot from them, just watching them, because I just thought, in some things, I just thought it was just my husband. I thought he was just different. And then I saw it in them, and I'm like, oh, this is how, you know, they think differently to me, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong. I think, and I see things differently from them, that doesn't mean I'm wrong. It just means we're different. We just need to learn to, to join our gift together, because when, when, even though my husband's so different from me, and I'm so different from him, when we join our gift together, we're, we're, we're a package. We're the complete package. Amen. And so... We, we need those differences to balance each other out and to, so that we, we bring the complete package to the table. And so when you mature in love, you stop trying to change that person and make them exactly like you and think exactly like you and feel exactly like you, but you begin to understand and accept them and they begin to understand and accept you. And that's growing up in the Lord. Now, we ended off on verse six. Uh, love does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. The we says love does not rejoice at iniquity, but rejoices with the truth. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Make sure you just keep your place in, in uh, Corinthians until we've, until we're done there. But Ephesians 4, 14 through 20 is, so then we may no longer be children tossed like ships to and fro between chance gusts of teaching and wavering with every changing wind of doctrine, the prey of the cunning and cleverness of unscrupulous men, gamblers engaged in every shifting form of trickery in inventing errors to mislead. Rather, let our lives lovingly express truth in all things, 
speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly. Enfolded in love, let us grow up in every way, in all things, unto him who is the head, even Christ the Messiah, the Anointed One. For because of him, the whole body, the church in all its various parts, closely joined and firmly knit together by the joints and ligaments with which it is supplied, when each part with power adapted to its need, working properly in all its functions, grows to full maturity, building itself up in love, so this I say and solemnly testify in the name of the Lord as in his presence that you must no longer live as the heathen, the Gentiles do in their perverseness, in the folly, vanity and emptiness of their souls and the futility of their minds. Their moral understanding is darkened and their reasoning is beclouded. They are alienated, estranged, self-banished from the life of God with no share in it. This is because of the ignorance, the want of knowledge and perception, the willful blindness that is deep-seated in them due to their hardness of heart to the insensitiveness of their moral nature. In their spiritual apathy, they have become callous and past feeling and reckless and have abandoned themselves a prey to unbridled, unbridled sensuality, eager and greedy to indulge in every form of impurity that their depraved desires may suggest and demand. But you did not so learn Christ. Love loves the truth. The Bible says we must speak the truth to one another in love. So we need to tell each other the truth, but we need to do it with the motivation of love and with the heart of love. Because people can receive it when, when it's said in truth. And, uh, you know, it's hard sometimes to hear something about yourself that, that's, that you know you have to change. It's not fun. It's not pleasant to hear that. And it kind of it hurts. But if someone tells, tells you in love and then just lets you think about it, lets you pray about it, it then you, you can go and be spend some time with the Lord and deal with those things in your life. And so I would rather hear the truth um, than, than not. I mean, even, even when it comes to my kids, a lot of times, if they're doing something I need to know about, I want to know. I want to know the truth about what they have to so I can deal with it. I'm, I don't want to go, oh, don't say anything against my kid. Forget about it. You know, don't tell me anything. I'd rather know and deal with it than not know what's going on. I'd rather know the truth. I'd rather know the truth about my own life. I'd rather know... You know, I want God to deal with me and to tell me, even if it hurts, what's going on. I want to know the truth so I can make it right, so I can fix it. But when people are in the world, when they give themselves over to the flesh, it's the complete opposite of love. What, what, what they see, the way that, and a lot of you, some of you, how many of you have been through public school? Really, and their motto is, like, there's no absolute truth, and as long as if it feels good, do it. If it's not hurting anybody else, you know, but people's definition of what hurts someone else is, is a little, gets a little fuzzy-wuzzy there, because you can say, um, you know, well, I'm going to go gamble. It's not hurting anybody, but then, you know, people get addicted to gambling, and their families suffer. They have no money. It destroys the kids. It destroys the, the marriage relationship, and, and it's just like, well, I'm not hurting anybody. Yes, you are hurting somebody. You know, define hurting somebody. So sin's always going to hurt other people. Sin is always selfish. Um, sin never is considering the other person or how they feel or, or anything. And, um, uh, you know, we need, we need to realize that, you know, there's a lot of people that do things and they say, well, you know, I'm not hurting anybody. It's just doing it for myself. But what about the people that are watching you, that are weaker than you, that are, that, that are tripping because you're doing something that you shouldn't do? And there's a lot of things that, that adults do that think that's fine, but they do it in front of their kids, and they don't realize their kids can't, their kids can't deal with that. Their kids can't handle it. And then as, as Pastor Rodney said many times, you know, whatever the head does in moderation, the, you know, the, the offspring do in excess. So 
if you don't want your kids to go into excess in any area, don't you don't even do it in moderation. If it's if if you know, just t take just if you think to yourself, should I do this? Well, what's the fruit of it? What is the fruit of this thing? Then, then cut it out of your life. Verse seven in the Amplified says, "Love bears up under anything and." everything that comes. We says love endures all things. There's nothing that love cannot handle. Love is strong, not weak. Love is persistent, steady and constant and will not give up or give in. You know, after our daughter went home to be with the Lord, um, about, probably about a year later, somebody told us that, that in a marriage when there's um, like a tragedy where a child's born um, with severe um, physical or mental handicaps or a family where, the, where they lose a child. Many, many times, I think the stats are like 80% of those marriages fail. I don't know if it's that high, but that was a number that was quoted to us. But a, a large number of marriages fail because each person either doesn't know how to handle the grief and instead of turning to each other, they, they turn away from each other and they pull away and they close off. Or, or they just they don't want to deal with it. And, and um, listen, believe me, when when you have a kid that has a you know a terminal illness that needs that needs care every single day, it is very draining. It is very stressful. Stressful physically. It's stressful, you know, on your finances. It's stressful on you emotionally in every way. And you you know, I don't know how people handle things like this who don't know Jesus. I really don't know. I don't know because his you know his grace was on us to handle it and. And when somebody told us that statistic, we thought, well, we didn't even know. We didn't even know that we were, <laughs> that we should even, you know, go that way because we didn't. We, we, we drew in to one another. We, we supported one another. We, we just held each other and cried, you know, whatever it took. Um, you know, we went through emotions at different times, but we were understanding. And uh, we didn't allow, us, allow it to pull us apart, but we, we made it pull us closer together. And so when you go through things in life, don't, don't cut yourself off from the people who love you. Open up your heart and, and, and share it with them and, and allow them to walk through it with you. It'll bring you closer. Amen. So love endures everything. It bears up under everything. The love of God will carry you through so much. I, I so respect and honor people who have kids with severe problems, especially if it's something that affects the way they look and kind of makes people stare and look at them. And, and those parents, they instill those kids with such a good sense of themselves. And they, they love them so much. And that, that kid is, is so secure that they don't worry about people's reaction to them. I really respect and admire. There's some parents, they're not even saved. And yet they, they love those kids so unconditionally. And it helps those kids get through so many things. And, uh, and if, we, if we will love our spouse, if we will love our kids unconditionally, it will take them through so much. You know, you, when we've, we ministered to the youth group uh, quite a few months back, and um, Pastor Rodney uh, was sharing on some things. I can't remember what it was. And we came afterwards. All these kids were coming up to us, talking about how they've been abused, how they've been sexually abused, how, you know, their parents have abandoned them. And I tell you what, just breaks your heart. And there's a lot of kids out there that are going wild and doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. And it's because their parents didn't love them. They did a survey of, of kids in juvenile facilities. 
and they asked them about their parenting and almost a hundred percent of them said my parents didn't love me enough to care where I was, who I was with and what I was doing. My parents did not love me enough. Um, uh, I know, uh, I think Dr. Phil, is it McGraw, his son did a survey of kids and they said they want their parents to be interested in what they're doing. They want to know that their parents care about what they're thinking, what they're doing, where they're at. And so, you know what, when you love someone, you care about them, you can never go wrong. Amen. And so a lot of times, even in their teenage years, when kids are pushing away, they, they really need you to unconditionally love them at that time and walk them through things. And our kids went through the, the normal teenage wobblies and um, I would just, if whichever kid it was, I'd just send them off with their father for two weeks. And, um, and they'd come back all straightened out. And, and, he, and he would just, he'd just talk and explain and, and they'd be like, oh, okay. And you know, you, cause you can't force them. But you just have to, you just have to show them. Well, this is this is how it is, and they're like, and, and they were great about it. And so you don't have to be afraid, parents. Those of you who have teenagers or heading into teenage years, don't be afraid of the teenage years. If you have a good relationship with your kids, if you love them, and and you talk to them, and you know where their little heads at, you gotta watch. You got you can't ignore them. You can't leave them. You gotta know where their heads at. I mean, some people don't even know where their husband or their wife's head is at. You have to talk to each other, know where each other's at, know where your kids are at. You know, be dealing with things as they come up. Don't leave them and think they'll grow out of them. They won't. It'll just become a worse problem. So pray and, and, and deal with it. If they're little and you don't know what to do with them, bring them to my mother. <laughs> She'll help you. <laughs> but we don't have to worry about our teenagers if we've loved them as, as kids and we've, we have that relationship with them. And where they, where they, can, be, they can be honest and they can talk things out. And... Um, and when they know Jesus loves them, that makes all the difference in the world. When they know they're loved and accepted, they don't have the need to go out there and impress their peers. You know, a child that's loved and that's confident in their parents' love and confident in God's love doesn't have the need to, to uh, impress their peers and do... A lot of kids do things. They get into smoking and drinking and drugs and, and stealing things to impress their peers, looking for love and acceptance from their peers. They should be getting it from their parents. If they have it from their parents, they, 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 they won't need it. I mean, when, the, when, the, when their friends say, here, have a cigarette, they're like, no, I don't need that. I'm happy. I don't, I don't need that to make me feel better. I don't need to look cool. I'm cool. <laughs> Amen. We need to teach our kids to, to be the peer pressure, not to succumb to the peer pressure. But we have to love them. They have to be truly love, agape love. Agape love, not, not the stuff that some people think is love. It's not, love's not controlling and manipulative or jealous or... Love is, love is unconditional, love is, love looks for the best for that person, amen. Not the best for the person being loved. You know, there's a lot of young girls that, that have babies out of wedlock because they've, they've been so unloved in their life and they, they just want something to love them and something to love. But that's not a good motivation to bring a life into the world, you know. So, um, so we, we need to love one another and we'll, we'll miss a lot of the mess of the world if we will just agape love one another and love our families. Amen. Love is ever ready to believe the best of every person. In Weasts it says love believes all things. In other words, love looks for the good in every person and every situation. Ephesians 4 and verse 1 
We're going to read one through three. I therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, appeal and beg to you to walk and lead a life worthy of the divine calling to which you have been called, with behavior that is accredited to the summons of God's service, living as becomes you with complete loneliness of mind, humility and meekness, unselfishness, gentleness, mildness with patience, bearing with one another and making allowances because you love one another. Be eager and strive earnestly to God and keep the harmony and oneness of and produced by the Spirit in the binding power of peace. So we need to bear with one another and make allowances because we love one another. We make allowances. We're, we're patient with each other. We, we take time. We make place. We change our schedule. We, uh, you know, so many times families get so busy, busy, busy. You know, especially dads. It's like they, when their kids are little, they spend hardly any time with their kids because they're trying to like earn a living and then when they come to a place where they're comfortable and they can have, they have some time off, the kids are teenagers and they're not interested in their dad anymore. And that's so sad because why, why, why do people go out and, and work 16 hours a day and basically lose the very family that they're working 16 hours a day to support? It would be better to rather to just to believe God and you know get a job that pays less and change your schedule you know and, and cut your you know, don't spend so much money, don't have so many luxuries, and rather be with your family and be there for them and love them and, and have your input. And we made a commitment when we first got married. I knew that we would be traveling. I had known, before I was even born again, it's, there were two things I knew about my life. I knew I would travel. I knew I'd have three children and there'd be two girls and a boy. I just knew those two things. And so when I met Pastor Rodney and he said, I'm called to travel and I'm called to go to America because America was the one country I didn't want to miss. I wanted to go everywhere, but America was highlighted always to me. And when he said, I'm called to America and I'm called to travel, I was like, whoa, mama. <laughs> this was everything that I knew in my heart. And so we made the commitment that we didn't want to wait years and years to have our kids because we thought while the ministry is getting going, you know, we'll, we'll have the kids and go through, you know, their baby phase. And then as the ministry grows, they, the kids can grow with the ministry. So we didn't wait. We were going to wait two years and then we waited like, five months. <laughs> so we were married like 14 months when Kirsty was born and, and um, I was 20 years old and, and then I was like, oh, whoa, what have I done? Because uh, I, was, I was really young. But it was, it was great because we grew up with them and, um, and I think, you know, there's nothing like just getting thrown into the middle of something because, you know, when are you ever going to get ready? You know, <laughs> they go, oh, I'll wait till I'm ready. I mean, I know people that, are, that were going to wait, wait two years and it's like seven, eight, ten years later and, oh, we're not ready yet. Well, when are you ever going to be ready? There's, there's, never, there's never always a perfect time for, for something. But you need to think about when you're 60 years old and you, oh, I wish I had kids. It's going to be too late then. So, <laughs> so we, we went ahead and, and, and had them all. And they, they did. They grew up with the ministry and with us. And, and we really wanted to be young grandparents. So... Um, and so that's already come to pass, and we're having the, a ball. And uh, we're having the time of our life. It's awesome. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So why was I even telling you about that? I don't even know why I was telling you about having kids yet. <laughs> that's something to do with what I was saying, I'm sure. Making allowances. Anyway, yeah. But we, we did, I mean, we prepared ourselves for that, and we just set our life up for it, and, and we didn't have a home. In fact, for four years, we didn't have a house. We didn't have an apartment. I had stuff in storage and stuff in the car. That's it. We lived in hotels. And I just committed, you know, that I wasn't going to nag my husband for a house. I mean, he wasn't going to stop and tell anybody. 
you know, that uh, my wife nagged me for a house, so I had to come back and build one. Or, or uh, you know, a lot of guys are evangelists, but they end up pastoring a church out of the will of God because their wife didn't want to travel anymore. And, you know, if you need to really think about that before you marry someone. If you got saved after you were already married, you need to really pray about it and be in agreement. And, you know, God understands. You know, the Bible says that, that you know, the, the unmarried person can focus all of their energy on the things of God. The married person can't. The marriage person, the married person has to take into account their spouse and their family and, and, and uh, you know, make allowances for that. And God understands. And if you pray, He'll make a way. God will make a way for you to fulfill the call of God and still take care of your family. And uh, our commitment was to stay together as a family. That's actually what I was telling you about and where I was going. But we made, we made that commitment to be together so that they could be with their father. They needed their dad. And uh, he was busy. They didn't see him as much as they saw their mom, but, but they still got to spend time with him. They know he loves them beyond a shadow of a doubt, and that's the most important thing. And uh, so... So we need to make, make time, make allowances, and make time for each other in, in, our, in our lives. Um, love's hopes are fadeless under all circumstances. The we says, love hopes all things. So love does not give up when things don't go its way. Love doesn't give up. Love keeps hanging in there. Love keeps hoping. Love keeps trusting, keeps believing. Love endures everything without weakening. The we says, love bears up under all things, not losing heart or courage. So love keeps God's word in front of its eyes and does not give in to opposition or adverse circumstances. Galatians 6 and verse 9, and let us not lose heart and grow weary and faint in acting nobly and doing right. For in due time and at the appointed season we shall reap if we do not loosen and relax our courage and faint. Don't get tired of doing the right thing. Don't get weary of walking in love. You know, things take time. So, you know, somebody witnessed to Dean Eric for five years before he finally received the Lord. You know, that took a love commitment from that person to, to, to not get offended by the rejection but to keep praying for him and to keep sowing seeds and sowing seeds and sowing seeds. So, you know, I, I see that in, in families with husbands and wives many times. Most of the time, the wife makes the commitment first. Or, or you know, just she, the, the wives, women find it easier to submit than men. I guess it's our nature to be adaptable. And so we, we accept the Lord and then the husbands don't want to know. And then I've seen so many women who get impatient with their husbands really set the process back. Um, if your husband's not saved, you really need to be the best wife you can be. Smith Wigglesworth's wife is a wonderful example. I mean, she loved her. He was mean to her. He hid her shoes. He locked her out of the house. He, he, was, he was very ornery. And, I mean, he had a temper. She had to put up with all that. And she just loved him, and, and she cooked his food. And she, she did everything to be a good wife, but she would go to church. She wouldn't let him say you can't go to church. I mean, she put up with the persecution and people want to know, well, you know, if I need to submit to my husband then, uh, and he says I can't go to church, I'm not going to go to church. Go to church. Tithe out of your housekeeping money. I mean, whatever, whatever you got to do, just do with what you have. Just do the best that you can. But, but be a good wife to him. Don't be nagging him. Don't be whining. Don't be running him down to your friends. Don't be criticizing him. Don't be ugly to him. Don't be beating him up with a word. 
You know, don't beat your kids up with the word either. They need to know Jesus loves them. You need to sh that's more important than anything. You need to share the scripture with them. Know, let them know that Jesus loves them, but don't shove it down their throat. Don't beat them up with it. Don't, don't, don't use it as a weapon. Amen. And so it takes a lot more effort on your part to walk in love at times like that. You know, your flesh wants to take the shortcut and give them a piece of your mind, but it takes a lot more effort to bite your tongue and just love them. And, and um, I had a, we have a lady at church who was just sharing with me. She said, she said she'd love to share with the ladies. Her husband passed away recently, and, and uh, she said, you know, he, she was saved first, and she just loved him. She was a good wife to him. She was sweet to him. And he finally, he just was won over by her life and by her love, and he, and he loved the Lord, and, and uh, they had an awesome marriage, and so she was, she was heartbroken, you know, they had died, they had a great relationship, but she won him to the Lord by loving him, accepting him, and so that's, that's what we need to do with, with everybody that, because, you know, family, you have to live with them. <laughs> you know, friends, you can, you can cut yourself off from friends, and, you, you know, you can break those ties and let those people go and find new Christian friends, but but family you have to live with. And so family, you're going to have to learn to walk in love toward, even when you want to. <laughs> on the submission issue, we don't submit to anything that's not godly. If your husband's asking you to do something that's not godly, you are not required by scripture to, to obey that. You just politely say, no, thank you. And, you know, I, I think in... You know, a lot of people ask that. Let me just throw this in. This is not, you know, part of this. But a lot of people ask, well, what if, the, what if we have a government? And this is, of course, a submission and authority class. But I'll just throw this out for now because maybe some of you won't be back for that class. So people say, well, what if the government says we can't preach the gospel? Well, I say then break the law and preach the gospel. But be prepared to go to jail and be prepared to be martyred. If you're not prepared to do that, then, then don't do it. Compromise. Whatever you've got to do, and that's between you and the Lord. But if you really want to do what God wants you to do, then, then do what the Lord tells you to do. Amen. And, and remembering we're, we're not obnoxious, and we're not going to go out there and do, be just stupid and rude and unmannerly, because that will get you into trouble anyway. But being led by the Spirit, obeying Him. Like Debbie talked about, you know, going to Vietnam. She went and prayed with people and then got interrogated, and God gave her the wisdom to say, but she had to be prepared to to go through that and not back off. Amen. Hebrews uh, 12 and verse 3 says, Just think of him who endured from sinners such grievous opposition and bitter hostility toward himself, against himself. Reckon up and consider it all in comparison with your trials so that you may not grow weary or exhausted, losing heart and relaxing and fainting in your minds. We have to remember what Jesus went through for us and it will encourage us to hang in and contend for the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And I would rather die than renounce my faith, because if I die, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm going to go into his presence. And he has to be so real to us that we're, we're willing to do whatever it takes, even to die for our faith. And, and, and give it all up if, that, if needs be. You know what, if, if it's God's will that the bullets fall everywhere but on us, then, you know, that, that's happened too. That's happened to where they couldn't kill somebody. But there have also been people that have been killed. 
And so you have to throw your life in God's hands and say, God, whatever you want. If you finished with me, fine. If you're not, then you know what? You're going to deliver me from this, and I'm going to carry on doing what you want me to do. So it's all in his plan and purpose. And, and even when people have been killed, it's, it's always been, God has always brought some good fruit out of it. Um, the one, an awesome story I heard was a couple of preachers and their families that were somewhere in South America, and they were preaching um, to some tribes that had never heard the gospel. And there were some tribes up in the mountains that were wild and just really unreached, very savage. And they just felt compelled by God to go and to witness to them, to minister to them. And um, they went and, and went up in the mountains. They were ambushed and they were killed. And what happened was everybody was devastated. And in fact, the one, both wives went back to America, but then one came back and brought a family. The other one stayed. But what happened was with those two men gone, with those two men there, the tribe was like, you know, sitting back and letting them do all the work. But when they died, it's like all the fruit that was in them, all the word that had been planted in their heart rose up and they stood up and they began to preach the gospel. And that tribe ended up winning the, the other tribe, the whole of that tribe that killed those men, that martyred those men, winning all of them to the Lord. And so those men didn't die in vain. You know, they, their death was a seed for the harvest of those people. There was something in the news. There was something in, in the news quite a little while ago about some, some uh, tribe that had repented. Obviously, someone reached them with the gospel and they had repented because they killed some missionaries many years before and eaten them, I think, their tribe. And, and, and they were publicly coming out and saying, we're sorry for, for killing these people. But God had reached them. And obviously, only someone who'd been reached with the gospel would stand up and apologize and repent for that. But so you know, realize that whatever seed goes into the ground, it's, it's going to produce. God's word does not return to him void. Amen. Amen. It always accomplishes that which he pleases and purposes and prospers in his hand. Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. Verse 8 says, love never fails, never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. God's love will never let you down. God's love will never quit. It'll never fail you. You have to make a choice. Agape is a choice. Agape is a decision. It's not a feeling. You're never going to feel like it. You have to decide that I'm going to walk in love. You must make a quality decision to walk in the agape love of God as a way of life. If you are a Christian, the whole mark of your, of your Christianity is that you walk in love. All men will know that you are his disciples, not by the great anointing on your life, not by your great preaching gift, not by the gifts of the Spirit. People are not going to know that you're His by your great ability or knowledge or eloquence. People are going to know you're His by your love. The only thing that sets you apart from the world is your love. And they might mock you and they might harass you, but when you, when, and you know, when you're a baby Christian, you might be tempted to walk, to turn around and just attack them back and blah, blah, blah. that's not a witness but when you you are unselfish with people when you turn the other cheek when you love them that speaks to them you might not realize it but when you walk in love and you make a choice to walk in love even if it means you know that, that you get stomped on and, and you get kind of you feel like you got crunched in the wheels you have to know that that seed that you sowed has been planted in that person's life Amen. and that it's going to bring forth fruit, that they're going, they, they see something in you that's different from them. And it's the love of God. That's the only thing that sets you apart. And that's why it's so important. Everything that you do, every choice you make, don't think that 
I'll just, you know, forget that I have to walk in love and I'm just going to just smack this person at the side of the head. I'm going to let them have it. I'm going to cuss them, cuss back at them or, or whatever, you know. But when you choose to walk in love and you do what love, you, you, you ask yourself, what would Jesus do in this situation? How would Jesus handle this? And you walk in the love of God, having put the, the word in your heart. When the word's in your heart, you don't have to stop and go, oh, how should I handle this? You know straight away because the Holy Spirit will just activate that word. I mean, he'll just pop it up. <laughs> how many of you ever had that happen where it's like a scripture just popped up in you and you're like, I didn't even know I knew that scripture. But the Holy Spirit knows it and he'll pop it up on the inside of you and you'll know how to conduct yourself. And then when you do that, because God knows how to reach those people. Amen. Amen. And, and you're the only Jesus that most people are ever going to see. And you have to realize it's an it's a incredible uh, responsibility and, and an incredible privilege to be Jesus to somebody else, to show them his nature and character and win them for him. Because ultimately, you know, remember I said Jesus did not die for his enemies. He, I mean, for his friends. He died for his enemies to make them his friends. And so when you, whatever you sacrifice, you know, it might not be your life. It might just be your reputation or, or your, you know, People lie about you or people do things, you know. Don't, don't worry about it. Just let, let the Lord take care of it. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to look quickly, um, before, we, before we finish with Corinthians, I want to look at agape and phileo because the love chapter is, is the agape love of God. And I want to look at um, John 21, verse 15 through 17. When they had eaten, John 21, 15, when they had eaten, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these others? He, what he asked him was, John, do you agape me more than these others do? With a reasoning, intentional, spiritual devotion as one loves the Father. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you, that I have a deep, instinctive, personal affection for you as a close friend. He said to him, feed my lambs. Again, he said to him the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me with a reasoning, intentional, spiritual devotion as one loves the Father? He said to him, yes, Lord. Well, he said, do you agape me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you, that I have a deep instinctive personal affection for you as for a close friend. He said to him, shepherd, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, son of John, do you phileo me? With a deep instinctive personal affection for me as a close friend, Peter was grieved was saddened and hurt that he should ask him the third time, do you phileo me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. You know I phileo you, that I have a deep instinctive personal affection for you as a close friend. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. He did not know how to agape Jesus. He didn't have the life of God in him. Jesus had not died. Jesus had not been resurrected to new life. Nobody was born again. Nobody under the old covenant was born again. They were counted righteous. The disciples were not born again until they were, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe on the day of Pentecost, now Jesus breathed on them, but I believe they had that, that dramatic encounter with God where they were saved, filled with the Spirit, and, and just, I mean, every, the anointing of God, the call of God dropped on them in a huge way. I mean, they got the full dose in one go. Amen. And so Jesus said many things that, they didn't understand at the time, but once 
Jesus had died and was raised up, once they were filled with the Holy Spirit and born again, suddenly those things made sense to them. And they're like, oh, that's why he said that. No, I understand. And Jesus also took time after his resurrection and he walked them through the scriptures and, and showed them how he fulfilled the scriptures. And that's how they knew what they knew. That's how Paul knew because Jesus took Paul into heaven and, and opened up the scripture to him and showed him who he was and, 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 how, how, that, and how the whole Old Testament is a witness about Jesus. And so he was talking to him about agape love and thank God that Peter was filled with the agape love of God on the day of Pentecost and, and walked it out in his life and won many, many people to Jesus. So it's only the born again believer that can truly walk in the agape love of God. It is the agape love of God that has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Because phileo is something that you can just have as a natural person, but agape comes from the Spirit of God. Let's carry on. Let's finish off with Corinthians here. Corinthians 13 verse 8, the, the last part of verse 8, because it starts off talking about uh, love never fails, fades out, becomes obsolete, it comes to an end. But as for, it says, as for prophecy, the, um, now the, the Amplified, you know, obviously these people who, some people that did this were Baptist, and uh, they don't even know what's what here. So, some of the stuff you just got to cross out because it talks about in verse 9 prophecy or teaching. It's not teaching, it's prophecy. There's a difference between teaching. Now, now you can, there's been times where you're standing and you're teaching and a prophetic word will actually come out of your mouth. That happens to me a lot where I'm, I'm just, I'm ministering. And as I minister, it's like it, it goes into a, more of a prophetic utterance um, than just, just plain teaching. But, but prophecy is not teaching. It's it's an unction, it's a, it's a spiritual thing that comes from the Holy Spirit. So don't worry about some of that stuff in the Amplified. As for prophecy, it will be fulfilled and pass away. As for tongues, they will be destroyed and cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. It will lose its value and be superseded by truth. For our knowledge is fragmentary, incomplete, and imperfect. And our prophecy is fragmentary, incomplete, and uh, imperfect. But when the complete and perfect total comes, the incomplete and perfect will vanish away, become antiquated, void, and superseded. There's many people that use this passage to say that the gifts of the Spirit have passed away, that they died with the last apostle. But it says here, it says that when the perfect has come, when that which is, oh dear. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, when, so let me, let me just, let me wrap this up real quick. The perfect has not come yet. The perfect for you will come the moment you step over into eternity. Amen. And we're going to talk some more about that in the next session. Hallelujah.